0: Hello and welcome to Can I Get a Picture? I'm your host, Soul Lovemore. Join me as I get to pick the brains of some extraordinary people hearing their struggles and successes that have shaped who they are today. Today we're talking to EJ Flynn. EJ is the Commercial Director at WorkFinder, an app that connects you to the best and brightest student talent for high-impact work placements. She's a phenomenal leader and a true business operator, sharing her wealth of experience working with entrepreneurs, technology, and scaling up. She's one person I regularly go to for business advice, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Thank you for coming on today, EJ. Thank you for your time. I'm a huge fan of yours, and you've helped me over my, I would say, it's still quite a, a young business career, I would call it. Um, and you've always kind of been a, a go-to person for me when I when I need help, when I need advice. Um, and you've been kind enough to always make the time for me. So that's why I wanted you to come on the podcast so everyone else can kind of benefit from that same access as you're probably one of the busiest people on the planet. But, um, but yeah, thank you so much.
1: I couldn't say no to uh, someone who always has amazing shoes and these slippers the first time I met you, <laughs> <laughs> red velvet with gold in
0: them, amazing. Oh wow, yeah, well after the, the church's <laughs> slippers, they're like iconic, I think I'm gonna have to frame those at some point in life But um, but yeah, no, so I wanted to start really to go back to early life, so where did you grow up, what did your childhood look like?
1: So um, I grew up in, very bizarrely, I'm now in Hertfordshire. So I grew up and I was born in Hertfordshire, but have sort of gone around the houses since then. Um, was born into a sort of very happy um, life, I suppose. My dad's second marriage, I've got an older brother and sister. Um, and I was the oldest for my mum's my I have a younger sister so um yeah born into that very happy life my my early childhood was quite um eventful I suppose in terms of and I I think you've probably spoken to a lot of people on this podcast about what defines them and you know look at the child you've got the adult um yeah and uh, as a as a youngster I was actually quite badly bullied um, when I was at my first primary school which through lots of therapy later on down the line realised that was actually quite a defining point for me in terms of uh, wanting to achieve, wanting to be wanted and actually obviously there's lots of pros and cons for that so it can make you have a bigger drive to achieve but obviously then it can have some personal impact um, for you later on. So that that was quite an interesting time. It wasn't. A, it was a great childhood, but it, at school, um, that sort of was, was quite an important part of my young journey. Um, and then when I went uh, about ten years old, my parents moved to the Cotswolds, which was amazing. So sort of very sort of rural life. Um, got into horses and rode horses pretty much all the time very competitive nature very competitive um if i came back and said to dad i came second his first question was out of how many so <laughs> so it was right okay there was five of us um so that drove that compa- competitive spirit and uh and then at school also very competitive um played lacrosse um which is a great sport um and played for england actually um at under 18 level um but by the time i got got to university boys and booze took over so um yeah I didn't continue my illustrious (laughs) lacrosse career the dedication needed was um uh I think yeah for all the sort of sports sports stars that you know I think you know that the dedication needed and um to make it into the big leagues wasn't quite there for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but listen, I, that's an interesting fact I didn't actually know about you, so that's amazing. Uh, you, obviously, as you said, you went to university, you went to Nottingham. Mm. What did you study at university?
1: I studied geography, of all mm-hmm. things, um, and mainly that's because I, at A-level, I did three sciences and geography um, because I thought I wanted to be a vet, but I'm allergic to anything that moults, so I thought, actually, Probably not the best, the best career. Um, and actually, then decided, um, well, what what subjects do I actually like? And I loved geography, and I was good at it, so I went and studied that. And I, I really loved my career, um, my my degree. Sorry, really, really enjoyed it, got a lot out of it. Nottingham was a, a brilliant university. But um, coming out of it, most people people were going, what are you going to do with geography? You're going to become a teacher um i knew i wasn't going to uh, i wasn't going to become a scientist or a geographer or i didn't fancy teaching so i actually applied to be a bbc weather girl that could have been a whole the new Eureka.
0: I could see you as a, as a weather girl, actually. I think mean, you would have pulled it off quite a while.
1: Um, And they have to do their own weather reports. They have to come up with their own weather reports. So, and I got, um, but then I think it was just kind of the salary, the, the BBC salary at the, at the time, sort of living off that in London. And I actually got a, a job in sales. So I took... took the uh, less travel role of uh, media sales over being a weather girl
0: fair enough so would you say you had an idea of your career path from a young age or is that something that kind of evolved over time
1: no I think at different stages at one point I remember very strongly sort of my teenage years thinking about wanting to become a physiotherapist and then as I mentioned at A level thinking I wanted to become a vet Um, I was good at science and then coming out of uni I knew I didn't want to go and do the kind of standard grad schemes, which a lot of my um, peers are doing, um, like an accountancy and stuff like that, which were great jobs and opportunities, but it wasn't for me. So actually I went and worked in Turkey for six months on a beach, which was great and came back. And my dad very kindly sort of said, I love you. I've now supported you and I'll get out of my house. And I was like, fair enough, dad. No, um, kick up the ass. So um, I, I, I started going and looking at jobs in London and, um, actually went to agency recruitment agencies and they said your nature you're competitive you're quite bubbly and chatty um sales would be a good fit for you so that's that's what I sort of started off and looked at sort of trusted their judgment and um yeah never looked back I mean my my first job I was there for six years um at our first company and to start off with it was it was hardcore old school sales it was two hours on the phone 100 calls a day And my dad always joked that someone doesn't particularly like being on the phone, like you've taken a job in it. Um, But it was great training, I have to say. Um, No fear on getting on the phone now. And being a good salesperson does help in your career, I think.
0: So when you say that role you took for the first job for six years, was that the one, the IT job board or was that a different role?
1: Yeah, so it it was a tech platform that was decided marketplace um which is connecting tech talent to companies and this was um so 2007 2008 and throughout all that time when obviously tech really in this boom period and there were so many companies big and small looking for great tech talent um and the limiting factor was actually finding the um you know the good tech talent out there. So that that was my role was to bring on the companies um, to advertise on the platform and to help. Uh, yeah, to 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 wanted to find um, these people.
0: So how did you? Um, obviously you started there in a, in a I think it was business development executive role, and then you moved up to regional manager, and you were based in the Netherlands. So how did you climb the ladder? Would you say, and like your key learnings during that time from going from the first initial role in the company to then you know yeah leaving at in such a high profile in a, in a higher position should I say
1: yeah so um yeah it's first of all I mean you talk about luck and timing with these things it was a company that was on a fast growth trajectory so um, joining you were given um potential if obviously you have to prove yourself potential opportunities for responsibility quite early on in age so i was there for about a year and became a team leader so training up the new team proved myself to be a good coach team leader manager and then was given the opportunity for the netherlands to run their office I think in the first year, for people who are um, starting out, I think a, a big, big area, I mean, I'm technically a millennial, but I'm um, on the cusp. But um, <laughs> for those in their 20s and 30s, yeah, no need to laugh. <laughs> Not that much of a cusper. <laughs> um, <laughs> technically. But no, for those, there's um, stats um, out, but that most 20 to 30-year-olds um, stay in the, a job for, an av- on average, 10 months. The majority don't stay longer for six months. So there's this continuous cycle. Now, one of the things, um, another sort of advice from my dad was never leave your first job within a year. You're not going to like it. It's going to suck. You're not probably going to be very good at it, but stick it out. Um, a, for your CV and B, show that you're not at flight risk, that you're just going to jump and stuff. So I remember sort of in the six, nine months in going, I can't do this. I'm rubbish. I was kind of crying in my sort of business review, my personal review. And just stuck it out. And then the beginning of the second year, it all came to fruition. And it's been a big thing that I've talked to a lot of my teams over the last sort of 15 years is to say that resilience of just not giving up. You never know when those opportunities might come round. So I think some people jump jobs to go and either get a small pay rise or potentially, a, you know, a title change or because they think the grass is greener. The grass is never greener in business. There's always everyone always has problems in business, right? Um, True. and also, um, sticking it out if, if you prove yourself in a company, actually, opportunities come your way. So, I became a team leader and then I became sales manager when um, somebody left, and then prove myself but then an opportunity came up the manager in uh, the Benelux region decided to go off and start their own business so they asked me to go out there to, to run it and said yes to that opportunity so having that kind of um resilience and um what's the word I'm looking for but just a determination just to keep going and opportunities can come your way. No
0: amazing and then from there you go on in 2013 you join the Supper Club which is an exclusive membership community for inspirational business professionals tell me a bit about the Supper Club and your time with the company because I know you did quite a lot there so I'm sure you can
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I I came back from Amsterdam. Um, I did two years in Amsterdam, managing their their office out there, and and came back. And our founder um, had actually invested in a in a a, re- a real startup, pre revenue startup. And I um, the the company was invested in it. And I joined and started getting involved with helping them with their sales strategy. And was just quite fascinated by startup life what goes into making a getting a startup going and after I, I came back from a holiday once and thought actually do I want to stay in the startup stay within the bigger company or go and do something completely fresh and I decided to go and do something completely fresh the founder was a member of the supper club and it knew that they were looking for someone to come and um, join their team so so off I went so the Supper Club um, was all about supporting through peer networks and um, peers helping each other, high growth entrepreneurs, actually past startups, so typically one million turnover plus. So you've gone through that, you know, initial painful <laughs> startup stage and got to some scale. And there's different there's different challenges. Um, you know, when you're starting up, it's about funding, it's about customers, it's about, you know, sales, and marketing. When you get to a certain scale, it then becomes about um, long term strategy, team, um, d- different challenges that you might face. So uh, th- that's what we talked about in scale up mode at, at the supper club. Um, and I started off there as um, doing business development again, bringing um, working on new members um, and looking at our, our sort of product lines and what what needs members had and we could help support them through speaker events, through training for their teams, um, through different types of roundtables or content. And actually that's where we met yeah. way back when. So sort of eight, eight, <laughs> nine yeah. years ago now. Yeah. Um, which is when we also looked at part of it was um uh, looking at the next generation of entrepreneurs or young people that wanted to work in entrepreneurial businesses so we had the rise to club and yes young entrepreneurs like yourself but also helping scale ups find enterprising young people that wanted to come and experience the, um, entrepreneurial life as well so we did a lot um, and about three years in I then took over as MD uh, which was Great. And um, we grew the club, we sort of doubled the club over the seven years I was there. I sort of think I've hosted about 500 round tables now with um, scale up entrepreneurs. So know their challenges um very well and also what drives entrepreneurs, which I find absolutely fascinating. And it was always a real inspiration to be around them, the energy and um, passion that they have for their business and resilience we talk about before, because the route to success is never straight, um, so I absolutely loved being part of that part of that journey. It was it was really exciting. Really enjoyed it.
0: And as you said, obviously you've chaired so many uh, roundtables. What what areas are you passionate about personally when it comes to speaking? Are there like key areas that you enjoy talking about the most, or do you, as you said, just mainly focus on the challenges of the entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, I think there's two two things I like. I find fascinating a is the entrepreneurs themselves you know what makes them tick what different types of entrepreneurs there are and also how to build high-performing teams so we like, most entrepreneurs face or most businesses face the same challenges right 95% of the challenges of business are the same you might have some industry specific ones but the majority of the, business is the same what's fascinating is seeing the different types of entrepreneurs and the different leaders so I mean, you're a true entrepreneur soul so also, um like the uh so i talk about different types so the magpie right for instance right um the magpie loves a shiny new object got loads of new ideas and suddenly it's like oh that's exciting i can go off and do that or they're, they're great at spotty new opportunities the challenge with the magpie is they can get distracted and not finish something off if you know what I mean if it like actually you need someone to kind of mop up behind you and actually make things happen yeah you've then got the the brain someone who might be um have an MBA or has worked in the city and done you know the big consultancy in Boston Consulting Group and then comes and wants to start their own business so they know business strategy really well but the, the challenge might be that they're so focused on the k- kind of academic um Sort of side of things, they kind of don't bring their team along with them and get them excited about the, the project. Again, alongside that, you've got the um Pied Piper, and that's, I think you're probably quite a natural Pied Piper, which is um yeah. someone who is great at bringing their customers, their um employees, their investors along with them, and they're the best salespeople for their business. The challenge they have is sometimes they are so the face of the business, they find it difficult to scale it beyond them and build a team around them. And then you've got the inventors, the um, disruptors, maybe like you think about Elon Musk and James Dyson and like these people who've got crazy big ideas. And the problem with them sometimes is actually making these crazy big ideas come to fruition and like keeping them in check. So you you know all the big names like uber travis and elon and james dyson and they need a ceo or a board around them just to keep them right how are we going to make this happen um so i've gone off on a bit of a tangent on there but like that that, yeah you see you see all these different and everyone's not like you're not exactly always one and there are different characters and you might be a blend of of the different but then it helps them kind of going well what do i need to bring or build around me to help I'm the driver but help get a really successful business so yeah I, I love talking about that and then also building successful teams i um, I always found very very interesting.
0: Yeah no I think you nailed it and I think even when you use me as an example I think every time when we've sat down I've always been self-aware that that's always been my biggest challenge exactly like you said is you become you almost become the face of your business and your idea but then it's okay there's only one of you you can't how do you take that and scale it that's it's quite a challenge I think a lot of young entrepreneurs face because it's the excitement of okay this is my idea it's my baby but actually as you said if you mix the traits from the other characters you described is the only way you'll probably actually be able to build you know a supper club or a work finder or a, yeah.
1: it's going to be repeatable and scalable um and, uh, unless unless you want a business that isn't which is fine like you know you don't have to have a ginormous business and what's quite interesting um you've probably read jim collins good to great have you read that one i
0: actually know you're a big avid
1: book book (laughs) book reader
0: i'll add that to my book list yeah
1: yeah yeah, good to great but um he he's a fascinating character he's written some great books um and built to last was his, his other his other one but he he also talks about the rise of the introvert um because you think about entrepreneurs and business leaders they have to be these big you know characters that you know are always out there in the voice and the face but actually there's this um, uh ever growing more empirical evidence when you look at the great companies that the introverts that lead them when they're not the face have higher well he he looks at stock market value and actually stock market value is um get higher value and, and last longer when the introverts are leading them, which is quite an interesting topic or sort of thought. Um, As an extrovert myself, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, so it's just quite an interesting one that you don't have to be the big bombastic um, character, you know, out there extrovert. You can be an introvert by nature and still be a really highly effective leader.
0: Yeah, I'm like you. I would struggle to be an introvert. I mean, I think I, I wouldn't last 24 hours trying to do that.
1: And you'd probably be in the wrong in business if you were, like, running a, a a membership club. And yeah, you definitely would be. Um, but you'd probably find a different business to have to, to run or set up if, you were, um, if you're were if you an introvert. For
0: sure. And um, so moving forward again to almost relating to now is obviously the end of 2019 you joined workfinder as the commercial director mm. which is an app which focuses on tapping into talent through work experiences work experience opportunities should i say tell us tell me a bit about the company um and kind of the inspiration behind i think it's an absolutely brilliant idea i was doing some research myself just looking at it and i even looked at the article you posted uh, earlier today on linkedin and like find it super fascinating so yeah just want to learn more from from you about the company and your role.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I mean, after seven years of Supper Club and I'm still involved, I still run one of their forums. absolutely love the organisation and or, or what they do. So um, very supportive of them. Um, I thought, you know, ne- time to hand on the baton to the next generation. So um, one of the, the ladies on my team is now is, is, is running the day-to-day of that. And I actually, as you know, in this kind of world of entrepreneurship, you, you get to know a few people and weird timing as these things tend to be is the original founder from IT job board had been invited to um, join a CEO of Workfinder um, by the founder who um, didn't want to and wasn't the right person to run it day to day and they were spinning it out into its own company it started off as a project within um, a charity organisation called founders of schools um, and then they were spinning out into its own organization and raising funding, which you have done over the last year. And um, Alexandra Farrell, who's the, who's the, the CEO, um, we got talking, we went up to coffee and then sort of timing would have it. said, do you want to come and join me on this founding team to, to, to scale this organization? And I loved what it does. As you said, it's, it's, a, it's a mission, very much a mission led business. Um, and it's I know this world quite well recruitment two-sided platforms matching talent with businesses but also scale-ups and I was talking to startups and scale-ups the biggest challenge they had was access to talent so um, talent pipelining coming through and the big challenge that the youth of today are coming out of school or education not having the skills that we need for the future of UK PLC right Um, so um, that that was a big part I found interesting and our founder is a lady called Sherry Coutu, who, um who is an, an absolutely incredible um, social entrepreneur. She's floated to the business previously and has invested, I think, now, I want to say, like 60 very large organizations, including the likes of LinkedIn, Zoopla, Love Film. So she knows this whole marketplace. So the opportunity to learn from Alex and Sherry again, but also have a real impact, really attracted me. So a bit about WorkFinder, its whole... Mission is to democratize work experience at scale. So um, using technology to enable students from all backgrounds. Um, and we're not just talking 16 to 24s, we're actually talking um, when I say students, it could be veterans, it could be those who are looking to reskill in the future, how to change um, careers back to mo- back to work mums um, as well, for instance. So it can be students of all ages, but enable them to engage with um, businesses across the UK and organise work experience at a time that suits them both, and equally, and the platform enabling it to be super easy and valuable to do for both sides. Because I say work experience to you, what do you think of like right? work experience? Probably like making the
0: difference. yes, exactly for me because of my my I'm showing my age here, but I'm 31. So when I remember work experience when we were in university, it was literally like, yeah, you're going to get this work placement. And, and, you know, they'd almost say, don't expect too much. You will do some stuff, but it is going to be literally like you are tea boy T-boy. You're going to serve teas. You'll get some errands to do and things like that. It wasn't uh, at the time, it wasn't very practical and actually like on the job and, you know, rewarding as, as it probably is now. Yeah.
1: Exactly that. So a, it's not very valuable for you and it's not valuable for the business. And I think when we, we were t- we've we done a huge amount of research on this about what makes work experience work and making work experience age appropriate as well. Um, and a lot of the businesses, they say their biggest challenge is I don't know what I could ask a 16 year old to do. They actually underestimate what a 16 year old can actually do and have an impact on. But also they think, oh, I've got management time. I haven't got time to look after someone. So I'll just sit them in the corner and do photocopying. And, And a lot of entrepreneurs are very socially conscious and they don't want to give a student, a young person, a bad experience. What we want to do is enable the companies to do it and find it easy to do and valuable. So. We've looked at 100, over, over 100 case studies of excellent work experience. Um, if you're, say, you wanted to host two 16-year-olds for a week, we could literally give you the schedule template and suggested projects that they could work on, which can add value for you and the most experience for them. So that's a big piece of it. It's not just making the connection. We also give you the tools to, to, to make it happen. We were working with universities anyway, but obviously the C-word and covid Um has had a huge impact on this generation coming out of education without employment opportunities um, this year. And uh, the article you mentioned yesterday, the Sutton Trust, saying 60% of employers have had to cancel in-person work experience. Over half of students have said that it's impacted their employment. So we've got this whole whole generation that are having not only their personal employment um, prospects impacted but for for the future of our economy getting these guys scared up so big thing that we've done this summer is go well how can we get students and kind of breaking the mold of you know that traditional come and do you know three months at you know bank.com or bigcorporate.com, which is great, absolutely brilliant. And a lot of bigger corporates are doing a lot um, in this space and uh, especially very timely at the moment, a lot around diversity. um, And there's a lot of great programs out there being run, but that only serves a very small amount of the population. So how can we get, um, harness this brilliant student talent who motivated, bright, ready to do some real work, and place them in startup, scale-up businesses who also need resources this summer to get vital work done. Um, and we've designed some sort of two-week projects that you can um, either do like intensely for two weeks or you can do it as part-time, sort of two days a week over several weeks around specific activities. So when I mean, we had an absolutely brilliant student come in, she's just graduating, and came in and looked, did a massive review of our social media and how we attract candidates. So it's the young people through our Instagram and through our social media. And I tell you what, I mean, so you're way cooler than I am, but TikTok, Instagram, I felt really old. Like, I thought I knew Instagram. And she was like, you could do this campaign. And we were like, never heard of it. Like, she's like, tap two. And we're like, tap two. She goes, it's massive at the moment. Came up with so many brilliant ideas. And then presented those back to us. And she did, And she created like three months worth of content for us. So really great experience for her and she, she got experience with us she then got went and got experience at one of the biggest beer brands in the country for two weeks and off the back of that she gave her the confidence just to go and approach a fashion brand and said don't know if you've got jobs but i'd be really keen and that experience enabled her to get a full-time job so it's just such an amazing and that's just in the last six weeks it's brilliant so yeah let's help these students get more work experience
0: no incredible and i couldn't agree more with you that i feel I always look back now and I think, obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you almost go back and wish and think, oh, I wish I had done work experiences you said like that, where you learn all these skills that then help you in later life. Whereas when you, do, when you take the longer route, you're, you're almost learning as you go, which is a lot. I've always kind of been of the ilk of, you know, if an opportunity is in front of me, even if I don't know anything, I'm going to figure it out. I'll just say, yeah, great, let's do it. And, but the reality is the advantage of more young people getting jobs, as you said, is actually having the experience of she's worked for WorkFinder, she's worked for this big beer brand. So it's a lot easier to then walk into your desired job, per se, and say, hey, guys, look, actually, I don't know if you have any work here, but here's my CV, here's what I've done. It's just, it's a completely different conversation. So I couldn't agree more with the, um, with the work finder approach. And what would you say is, uh, whilst we're on the subject, the the challenge students today are facing versus, let's say, my generation or your generation in terms of finding finding a job after university or finding a job in general, even if they don't go to university, what would you say are like the biggest challenges today?
1: I think one of the biggest challenges, or well, there's two for students, that most companies say, work experience is more important than university grades because actually looking at 20 CVs or 30 CVs um and they've only been at uni, they all look the same, right? You've done your education, you've done your university degree, and actually having experience is that makes you stand out, but it also shows that you could be sort of work ready. But then it's really hard to get work experience. And unless your parents teachers or university have those connections with local businesses then you can't get in and it is still quite undemocratic and the people that need those opportunities the most um students from you know low socioeconomic backgrounds for instance miss out so it kind of still creates this um social divide um just by pure um just by the, the, the mechanics of how work experience works. So that's, again, what WorkFind is trying to trying to do, which is um, enable students to find businesses in their local area. Um, and I think another key thing is I, I didn't know it. You know, I came out of uni going, well, I'm either a teacher, an accountant, a lawyer, a recruitment consultant, or a state agent. Those are like the five jobs. Whereas now, um, you know, you have there's such a variety of businesses out there and such a variety of different roles you know when we we started out you wouldn't be a social media exec that didn't exist like even email marketing was you know being an expert in media market was pretty big so there's so many new exciting job opportunities out there it's just fine them. um so I think that's one of the biggest biggest challenges and I know a lot of bigger businesses are doing as I mentioned a lot around diversity inclusion um trying to support and I think The the joy of this accelerated move to remote working actually enables companies to, talent doesn't have to be geographical anymore, which I think is brilliant, and actually it can can, um, enable specific groups of um, talent, such as those that might have specific disabilities, to be able to a get experience and take opportunities that they may not have had before and you're also in businesses getting that sort of diversity of thought neurodiversity um and you know that that can only be a good thing for business as well
0: yeah and one of the one area I wanted to ask you slightly off topic but the whole uh, situation around uh, BAME candidates finding it harder to to get jobs and i had a recent conversation with a friend of mine he's in a role where he works at a university and they have a panel so every time they employ applications come in they have a panel of three people one has to be a bame candidate one has to be female yada 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 just so it's kind of fair across the board if you want to call it that and he said one of the, the other things they do at their company as well is they remove people's names and they just put initials. Because again, they from their research they found that people's names sometimes were used against them type thing. So I just kind of wanted to, to hear your thoughts on let's say how you guys at White Workfinder are kind of tackling those issues. Or if you have your own approach you see that almost negates that and makes sure that it's kind of like a fair playing field for people from all backgrounds and, and all walks of life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, <clears throat> that as, as I mentioned, some of the, the bigger big companies and the graduate employers have been well aware of this for some time. So there are lots of um, systems. So anonymized CVs, for instance, you don't get any names or backgrounds or anything, it's just on the basis of their CV um, to start with. We as a platform, for instance, when you come on the platform and you get applications through, you see the initials, not the names for instance, to helping to um, sort of anonymize it up to a point. Equally, there's things like bias around, oh, you went to Nottingham University, same here. You know, you try and build that rapport with someone so you spot people that might have um, things in common with you. So personal opinion here, rather than a work find a fact, but what you were talking about earlier about having, you know, having a BAME student, having a female, wh- whatever sort of Group that you might be boxed into, you don't necessarily want it to be a tick box exercise. But the reality is, at the moment, to enable that diversity, you know, the whole 20% club for females being on boards, you know, there is sometimes a bit of pro bias, another way over. uh, So you don't want it to be a tick box, but actually, it needs to be probably for, for the foreseeable future until you get a fair playing field. So I think, um, yes, there are there are things and systems you can use like anonymous CVs, making sure that when you're looking at your talent pool that you've got a good representation. But I think it goes down to more um, right back to almost what we're doing, which is why we're trying to break this mould, is socially, why do you, um, people from BAME backgrounds find it harder to get Um, job opportunities is it because they don't have the right experience in the first place and they haven't had a good start um, because they didn't have the opportunities that their white middle class peers you know might have had because their parents knew someone who was able to give them some opportunities um, to get a step up on the ladder so I think it's it's not one thing we've got to look at it as a whole and it's a very complex issue as you know we've been seeing recently with um The the work with the campaigns of Black Lives Matter is an incredibly complex issue that's not just down to one thing. But I think talking about what we're talking about here now is giving young people the ability, enabling them to go out and find meaningful work experience. And that is also back to the companies a having that responsibility, but also enabling them to be able to offer meaningful work experience. Because I think you'll probably find it most of the business leaders that I come across and entrepreneurs are very socially minded want to have an impact and also it's not just about having an impact with their products it's an impact with their people as well so we just hope that we can enable them to to offer more opportunities.
0: Yeah no for sure and as you said I think about also people having different starts I think that's so true that when you look at those challenges for BAME candidates that a lot of the time is because they don't get the same opportunities and the same sort of breaks, which means later down the line, it affects them even more. So yeah, I couldn't agree agree with you more. That's the turn. It's almost got to be a turnkey solution where you tip the whole thing upside down and literally start again to find the solutions of, okay, how do we create work experience from school to help, you know, to help level the playing field for everyone. So,
1: and there are, there's a lot of work that's going on around um, like founders of schools I mentioned do a lot of work with schools um, from low socioeconomic backgrounds that that also have a high proportion of BAME students as well. So getting leaders and also giving that inspiration, I think it starts even earlier than that, is having mentors or people to look up to, to go, well, that could be me. Um, That person sounds like me, looks like me. That could be me in a few years' time. So like founders of schools, they get business leaders, not just founders, but business leaders to go in and and talk at schools. Um, And it gives... School students, a it opens their eyes to like what types of work is out there, but also inspires them to potentially think about what they may want to do personally as well.
0: And obviously, as you can imagine, now the university fees are absolutely crazy compared to when we went to university. So, how important do you think a university degree is in in today's environment?
1: Good question. Um, I think universities themselves are going to have to change quite dramatically Um, because you've got the likes of Coursera, Udemy, Open University, um, you know, they've been virtual for a long time and everyone's just finally catching up with them that you can do (laughs) courses part-time around your day-to-day work. And I think we're going to see it, we're going to have to see a lot of changes, universities not just being for 18 to 21-year-olds to come and do an intense three-year course, you know, Cambridge University this year announcing that all their lectures will be virtual so you don't have to be sat in a lecture room you can be sat anywhere and then you go in and do your your form rooms why couldn't form rooms be virtual and then a lot of other universities are starting to say some of their lectures if not all of autumn term or some of them will be will be remote equally our whole Um, you know gone are the days you might have a job for life and actually a lot of people a lot of jobs will be going types of roles will be going over the next couple of years so people will have to reskill so there's this whole movement to why does university only have to be for that age group over an intense time open university talks about micro credentials, and you've also got the likes of Coursera and Udemy who I mentioned where you can start and go and get mini courses so I think universities may have to adapt um and I think it will be interesting to see what impact COVID's had on them this year. A uh, lot of them have ha- relied heavily on overseas students. So, and I know some of them are, are financially struggling this year themselves, but I think they might have to move and adapt in, in, <laughs> um, into the 21st century. Um, and I think for, for, I think less so now, depending on your vocation, do you need a um, a university degree? It was way back when, sort of 1998, this whole movement to everyone should be able to get a degree. And actually, sometimes you don't need a degree um, to, 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 to be your specific career. And things like apprenticeships and T-levels um, that are coming up can be just as impactful um, rather than going off and getting yourself into lots of debt.
0: Yeah, exactly. And what would you say are some of the key skills that work experience would give you, let's say, over a university degree?
1: Uh, I think it depends on the, um, what you're studying. I think where it can be really impactful is when you're doing it alongside it. So, for instance, if you're doing a course on, uh, being very broad, but digital skills or marketing, or, for instance, our student that came into us had done a, 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 um, a course on PR, public relations, and actually asked her what she did, and it was she just did one press release for an event. Well, actually, going off and doing a two-week project with a company, either a PR company or a company that wants you to write press releases for them for a specific campaign or launch, you get to practice those skills. So it's working alongside it. Now, one of the things that we're talking about at WorkFinder is breaking that model that you don't do any work experience until you leave uni or you do it in your summer. Why not do it throughout uni? So you get six to eight cycles valid work experience you can either go and test different industries or you might go out I had no clue what I'd enjoy I had no clue of different industries out there when I left uni because if I'd done six or eight cycles of work experience I might have gone oh I really like that industry or I don't like doing that job and it helps you make an informal informed decision also the other thing that I think it, it, it gives you real life experience you know a lot of university is academic it's theory based. I remember being at supper club and hiring people who'd done business degrees and they were like, all the theory we learned is not actually what happens in real life. Um, So it is quite academic. So I think um, work experience on the job can actually you can get your teeth stuck into it and actually learn a lot more about that specific industry.
0: And on the um, on the flip side of that, uh, a lot of people are choosing to go down the more entrepreneurial route with tech startups online businesses you know people creating brands after uh, after years of experience in business development and the career you've had what are some of like the most important tips and advice you'd give for people to, uh, trying to scale and develop and build their own companies
1: i this is again a personal opinion i'd go and learn on someone else's type <laughs> so go and learn your craft at a company right So if you think, do you know what, I need to have sales skills, which I I think all entrepreneurs do, um, you can go and learn and be trained and and have, you know, you're giving back. Obviously, you're contributing to the business success, but you're learning on the job. Or if you are so entrepreneurial minded, you just want to start from scratch. Make sure that you surround yourself by people that you can learn from and go and educate yourself. Read lots, listen to lots. Um, I'm always surprised about Listening to pod, like listening to podcasts or watching videos from different in, like different, not even business industries, like from what you can learn from sports. I mean, sports and business has always been quite combined. But what you can learn from the arts and listening to um, people who write films, for instance, and ha- what their process is and how they create, and then also training yourself up. So again, even as an entrepreneur, and if you're in your early twenties, go on Coursera, go learn how to, you know, run a digital marketing campaign for instance, because what's going to happen is it's going to take you a lot, lot longer than if you have been, you knew what you were doing and you were, you know, 10 years down the line. And I'm sure you look back over the last sort of five, six years and think, God, if I knew what I knew then, now how much quicker would I have got there? Now, that's what everyone always thinks that, that. That will carry on throughout life. But I think that that always educate yourself is a, is a big thing, especially if you're, and, and, and surround yourself by people that may have been there done that and learned the mistakes so you can avoid them or people who are doing it with the, like the same time as you so again they might have made a mistake that you can avoid around the digital marketing and you just don't make that mistake um as well learn from others
0: so moral of the story everyone needs to find their own version of ej <laughs> <laughs> basically
1: EJ, yeah
0: <laughs> um Uh, obviously COVID-19 as we know has been around and will be around for a long time so how do you kind of see the next few years playing out in terms of the employee work-life balance you know with the whole work from home opportunities and you know flexible working hours that are being proposed how do you see that how do you see that evolving over time
1: yeah, it's really interesting, actually. Um, as I mentioned, I'm still involved in the Supper Club. I was talking to you earlier about what we're doing. Now, a lot of people are doing, um, like, team surveys about what they might want to do when they want to come back. And actually, those who maybe early 20s, like, are going to get back to work because they want the social atmosphere, the, the friends that you make. Well, it's so important you, you have you get a lot out of your work by this, this sort of social element to it as well. Those maybe in their 40s you've got young families quite like not having to do the commute and they get to see their families more often. so it depends on circumstances. What all the companies that I've seen their surveys back from without doubt the highest um, percentage of what people want is around 10 days working from home a month. and if you work that out it's two to three days at home working, working at home. So people still want to have some form of going into an office from, from, from what I've seen so far and to have that, um, collaborative approach um, seeing colleagues working and not being like just stuck at your home in your home all the time but equally wants about it so I think what COVID's done these these are not brand new themes like it's just accelerated the remote working we've been talking about this for years and um, at the supper club about managing remote teams like flexible working how do you manage it it's just accelerated that Obviously, you know, we're on a piece of tech here that I'd never even heard of until you sent it through to me. Um, but over the last, you, you've got undigital natives, people like at the beginning of lockdown, people coming onto Zoom going, how do I work this? What's happening? And then the next time I see them, they've got a jazzy back screen because they've worked out how to do that. And the next time I see them, they're sort of sending out like breakout rooms and stuff. So all this new technology that's come through enabling people to do it. So I think that, I think it's very doable. I think the impact for businesses, two things is, it's really productive when everyone's remote. So you know, when you go and pick up a phone, like dial, the you know, dial the Zoom or the meetings or the Google Hangouts, someone will be at the other end because they're not traveling, um, and you're not in an office. Oh, just catching up with soul. Oh, and I missed the call, and I'm so sorry. And then someone's waiting at home, just sat there going, "Is the meeting happening?" So I think that would be actually when you've got a split potentially, and secondly, culture. Like um, I think one business said, a big part of what made us stand out from a talent attraction piece was our culture. And why would someone work with you if you're just another business where you're sat at home on Zoom? So I think it'll be really interesting, you know, purpose-led businesses, which has been a theme for the last couple of years. You know, I'll say couple of years, few years obviously young well, a lot of people but especially the new generation come coming through want to work for a purpose their business but also culture like how are you going to create that that what your culture is if you've got quite a lot of people working remotely you're going to have to work a lot harder at it and there are companies that do it very successfully well but it won't just happen by chance
0: yeah i can imagine the culture piece as you said i think in in person it's a lot easier isn't it to kind of put things in place whereas remotely um what would you say are the key aspects of building a technology business? You've been involved in a few now, so you probably have a you probably have the best set of eyes to to talk about that one.
1: Gosh, there's probably there's probably a lot <laughs> a lot more um better people to talk to, to about this specific thing. But key things when you're building a tech business, big thing I've learned is you have to be if you're working with technologists and if you want to build a site or a platform or a feature or whatever it is. The biggest challenge is taking a vision, whether that's the entrepreneur's vision or a senior team's vision, and translating that into specific features um, or into what it looks like. And the worst thing you can do, and it, you know, like building houses, people go websites or platforms or technology builds, go over budget and behind time, is because when the spec changes, or actually whoever's explained or done the kind of brief of what they want suddenly adds extra stuff in halfway through. So I think that if you are someone who has got a great vision and you want to work with a technologist, the biggest lesson is being super clear on what you want because they will literally build feature by feature And also making sure that you don't suddenly change your mind halfway through. And if you do, be prepared that or add in extra features or I suddenly want to do this. Be prepared that it will suddenly go over budget and you could suddenly have this long, never ending piece of work. And also a big thing that I saw entrepreneurs struggle with is the the, the idea of MVP, Minimal Viable Product. So many entrepreneurs want it to be perfect and do it all from like day one. Actually, if you're in a tech world, how can I hack this? How can I make this super lean? And how can I do this in a hacky way just to get start getting some data in or some results in? Um, there's a really good book called The Lean Startup, um, which talks about this stuff. You've read it. Yes, you're nodding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but how, how do you lean? Like funding isn't, you know, funding's a big thing for tech companies and you can run out of cash quite quickly. So how can I quickly... And as leanly as possible, test, iterate, test, iterate, then build, try stuff out. Yeah, that'd be my other point.
0: Now we're getting closer to the end. Um, As you mentioned earlier, you're currently expecting your first baby. Mm. Congratulations, which is exciting. Women in business obviously face some challenges that men don't have to. It's a lot around inequality, gender pay gaps, uh, navigating raising a family versus having a career. Have you faced any of these challenges? And what can what do you see being done to further support women in business? I know it's quite broad, but I hope you can answer that.
1: Yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey this I'm going through uh, right now because I was very lucky early in my career, and I think it's because we had a female founder that there was no kind of idea of a glass ceiling or anything like that so uh, you know in my early career and I was very driven want to be an MD but I'm 30 uh, like 31 so slightly late on that target but just you know you wanted to um and I didn't have any sort of blockers from that um let's say um but the I think being that extrovert being that salesperson being quite competitive by nature enabled me to to drive forward and I was never afraid to ask for what I wanted or ask for pay rise or to, you know, put my case forward or whatever. Whereas I think if you've got a very strong male boss, then there's sort of introverted female. And I definitely saw it that men on my team were more likely to ask for a pay rise than women. So it doesn't necessarily happen. Um, Again, it can happen by accident that men end up getting paid more than women. Um, It was just something that I observed. Um, which is quite interesting so you have to be really careful of that interestingly when I was at supper club at any one time and this is quite representative you had 10 to 15 percent of members were female if you look at the percentage of businesses started in the UK about 70 percent are female but a lot of them are um uh, one-man bands started to do consultancy and stuff actually having a scalable business only 10 to 15 percent of that kind of one to 250 million were female. And if you actually looked at those that managed to um, scale a business beyond 10 million, there was literally a handful. I could count them on my hand. Um, and if you asked them, um, or you did you know, them, awesome, but you, you, you talked to them, some decided not to have families. Some of them had a husband who decided to be a stay at home husband, but it was very rare. Some of them were co-CEOs, but they still ran the household. So it was a a challenge. So actually there were very specific situations um, where they had families and they were still the main caregiver. It it did limit business growth. And it's an interesting one for, is it, again, complex issue? Is it ambition? Is there an ambition gap between men and women? Generally, again, there are obviously individuals, which is quite interesting. Is it because of the, in this country, society still sees females as the main caregivers and it's just society accepted, or is there something different? And there's a really interesting, and again, on Netflix, there's these 20 minute documentaries. And I can't remember what they're called. But there's, there was one on the, the pay gap for females and males. And they did this big piece in America actually. And it wasn't actually a pay gap between men and women. It was a pay gap between female parents and everyone else, which was really interesting. So actually, when they looked at women who weren't parents, who weren't a parent and men, there was 0.1% pay gap. But If you looked at female parents, because if they have kids and who are you more likely to give the um, promotion to? The person who can works five days a week, who can work late, who can do that extra pitch, or the person that has to go off to pick up a sick child or, you know, go and do whatever. So very conv- very interesting. So it's not necessarily a male-female thing. It's a parenting thing. I think COVID and having to homeschool has thrown up a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> interesting dynamics um, and for me and for me I mean I don't know how p- parents have done it um you know having kids running around I don't know how my husband my husband and I so have both been very busy we wouldn't have been able to do it for me I'm on a very personal journey to go how long do I take off what impacts I can have on my career like you know balancing I'm sure I can see it happening having that mum guilt of how much time I spend with the kid versus um home so it's um again a quite a complex issue um and I think societally looking at who the caregivers are is um I think it's not going to be fixed overnight by individual companies a lot of work to be done
0: yeah, and I guess that's it that's your that's one of your next challenges I guess hey eh?
1: yeah we'll see. see ask me again in a year <laughs> see where I'm at <laughs> yeah
0: but yeah thank you EJ that's basically we're at we're at the end now and um the closing question we ask all the guests as you know the podcast is called Can I Get a Picture so the closing question is who is the one person that inspires you that you'd love to have your picture taken with and why
1: oh good question um, it has changed over the years it used to be Marissa from Yahoo remember her the lady um, he used to run Mar- uh, Marissa Mayer he used to run um, Yahoo actually my big girl crush at the moment because I think is michelle obama and that's really boring because i let's say a lot of people say michelle obama right now but i've just read her book fascinating and i saw her documentary on, on netflix and i think it's just um she faced a lot when obviously um her husband came into power and how she dealt with that um but i think she's a, a, an impressive orator and i just she's she gets that balance right and she's a lot of fun she's awesome fun isn't she
0: Thanks again to EJ for taking the time to chat with me and thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Can I Get a Picture Pod and we'll be back again next week with another episode.